Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through the Bible. And tonight's book of the Bible that we will be speaking on is the book of Romans. Um, Romans is probably, without a doubt, my favorite book of the Bible. Um, it seems that every chapter has such great wealth of information knowledge the spirit jumps off the page to me i i feel like it's speaking right to me basically every time i read it there's never a time that i'm reading through the book of romans that it doesn't straight just convict me and encourage me at the same time romans is just this magnificent writing by paul you know that he was writing a letter back to the roman church and as a letter is concerned, it was quite a lengthy letter. Um, I can't imagine getting that. You would have had to have a whole donkey bring it to you. But anyway, um, just a little bit about Paul. We briefly mentioned him last week as we were talking through Acts that he was Saul of Tarsus. And Jesus met him on the road and, and basically knocked him off his horse, blinded him, got his attention, told him to go into the city where a man was going to meet him and pray for him. Ananias was kind of freaked out a little bit because Saul was known for killing Christians. And Ananias obeyed him anyway, even though he was afraid, went and prayed for Saul, who now is known as Paul. Um, at this time, you know, Saul was a Pharisee. He was very righteous in that sense that he tried to keep to the Torah to the best of his ability, you know, and he believed that, you know, God had called him to that. And because of that righteousness, he was going after Christians because he felt that they were blasphemous against the God that he believed in. But then the God that he believed in flipped the script on him and let him know that he's on the wrong side of the equation. And he took that righteousness and he chased after Jesus with the same fervency that he was following Yahweh his whole entire life. And at that time, he took his Roman name, and that would be Paul. And that's why we see the Saul to Paul transfer, that he went from his Jewish name to his Roman name. And we know him today as St. Paul. At this point, he was commissioned as an apostle. He was really the only person that wasn't a disciple of Jesus that ended up with that title as an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, he was a slave to righteousness. <clears throat> so, you know, Paul is writing this letter to try to unify the Roman church. The emperor of that day in Rome kicked out all the Jews, said, you can't live here anymore, take a hike. And after he died, um, the Jews were allowed to come back. But the church was significantly different after five years without any Jewish influences. So they got rid of, you know, some of the traditional Jewish laws that they had followed as a Jewish Christian. And the Jews and the, and the Gentile Christians were having this problem because they were not worshiping Jesus the same way. And Paul seen this as this great opportunity to bring unity between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and that would transpire into more churches down the road that would have the same problem, and even to us today, that he's explaining how the Old Testament and the New Testament are intertwined, and it's really one book, and that the same things that were spoken over Abraham are the same things that are for us today, and that Jesus is the thing that glues that all together. <clears throat> so this book, you know, is Paul's fullest explanation of the gospel, the good news, about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Paul is revealing God's righteousness by explaining that Jesus is the risen King of all the nations, calling all humanity to come under His loving rule, and that through this good news, God's power to save people who trust in Him will be revealed God's righteousness through Jesus. You know, and what righteousness really is, is it's always 
It means that it's just and right. So Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that is just and right. You know, and as Paul is referencing righteous, which is this Old Testament term of who Yahweh was, and he's saying that Jesus is the righteousness of God. You know, and that he is makes this fulfillment of the call of God, and that as we lay down our lives and follow him, this makes us righteous. You know, and that Jesus is faithful to fill all his promises. <clears throat> and so when he's saying all his promises, he's declaring that the whole Old Testament, every promise that they had known to be the word of God, Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. So he's putting this big, mighty pressure on Jesus, and obviously Jesus can take it because he's Jesus. But, you know, for a Jewish Christian, you know, this was hard to, to really accept. You know, but as they begin to learn who Jesus is, that they begin to see that he is faithful, that he is just, that he is righteous, that he is loving, just as we do. As we grow in our relationship with him, the same things that they were struggling with thousands of years ago are the same things that we struggle with today. And that's why this book speaks to me. And I believe that it speaks to all of us. You know, that when we read it, it, it chops us in half and glues us back together all at the same time. You know, that it, it's just this powerful knitted, you know, written book that shows us that we fall short, so far short, and yet his love is so much bigger than what we could possibly understand, and it scoops us up and it makes everything better. You know, and it's just amazing when you're reading through this, it's like, I'm such a wretch. Like, I don't even come close to this. And then Jesus kind of swoops in and be like, I got you, boy. You know, and you're like, just come on, keep moving. And like, okay, okay. You know, and it's this love that, that, Paul's writing about, and yet he's letting everyone know that you're falling short. You know, and when in our lives have we fallen short and we receive love? Never. You know, and that's the beauty of God is that in our misbehaving, His love comes. You know, there is correction, there is discipline, there is, you know, these spiritual, you know, disciplines that, that come into our lives when we you know, push past grace and we're refusing to listen and all of a sudden it's like, well, God, why are you, you know, attacking me? You know, if we really dial it back just a little bit, we start to realize that i just been doing my own thing. You know, and, and he pulls us back into alignment and he, he loves on us and that the good news is that his righteousness is for us, that basically in our sinfulness, you know, we are always falling short. Paul is saying that everyone is trapped in this sinful, selfish cycle and that we are broken. And we have all turned away from God and we have embraced idolatry, which means we find ultimate significance in created things. That God is the creator and he's created us and that he has created things and we have created things, and we turn to those things that in which we've created, and we say, this will give me significance. And God is like, no, I am the only one that can give you significance because I made you. Because you made it, you can't have significance from that. We have tried. We've tried drugs. We've tried alcohol. We've tried careers. We've tried relationships. We've tried money. We've tried schooling, we've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to have something fill this void on the inside of us, and we're always longing for something else. Something is missing. And Jesus is the, the epitome of the thing that's missing in our lives, and as we, we turn to Him, He begins to fill us to overflowing that we begin to realize that He is the only thing that fits in that hole inside of us. Many years ago, you know, 
I believe that I was this black hole, that I was a virus, that if I got next to you, that your life would begin to suck because I was cursed. I was this awful human being that I've just been dealt this deck, you know, or this hand of cards and it's just fate and I'm just going to suffer forever. You know, and as I came up to my altar call for the very first time, you know, I'd never had met Pastor Rick at that moment. And as he's talking to me, because I'm wrestling with this idea of becoming religious, not just accepting Jesus. In my head, that meant being religious. And I didn't want to be religious, but I was in enough pain and desperate enough that I was willing to try to take this step. And as I was stepping back from him and I was perplexed about what I was about to do, because now I'm going to be like one of those religious people, and I was really having this fight. Now I understand that there was spiritual warfare going on and the fact that I was even that close to Jesus. You know, the enemy did not want me to obviously accept Jesus or come to know him on any level. And Pastor Rick, you know, with a few things that he was saying, he said that if I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, that he would fill my life to overflowing. Now, he did not know me. He did not know the fact that one of my perplexed ideas about myself is I'm this black hole and I consume everything I touch. And he's telling me that if I accept Jesus, that that black hole that consumes everything and is never satisfied was going to get filled up. You know, and I accepted Jesus that day not because I was trying to get to heaven. wasn't sure if it really existed anyway. wasn't trying to escape hell. Pretty much thought I was living in hell. So the idea of heaven and hell was not really on the table for me. I was accepting Jesus because I wanted the pain to stop. You know, and I've tried everything to make that pain go away. I've tried everything to fill this void that's on the inside of me and nothing has ever worked. And that day I accepted Jesus, you know, and said my little sinner's prayer and went home. <laughs> nothing was different. Nothing was different. But my momentum of trying to be a Christian was starting. You know, for me, I believe at that moment when we say our sinner's prayer for the first time, it's kind of like the starting pistol of the race going off, and we take our first step, and usually, like, we think we're done, like we won the race, but, like, there's this marathon that we got to run, and we're like, I just took a step towards Jesus. Why is it, why is it so hard? Why is this, why is this gotta be this way? Why, why can't I just poof into heaven right now? Like, why do I have to, like, live life on life's terms? Why do I have to, like, deny myself? Why do I have to struggle? Why do I have to have sin? Why do I, why do I just, I just want what I want? You know, and we have this confusing idea that we accept Jesus and everything's gonna get great. And the truth of the matter is, is it gets way better. But it's not going to be like great and amazing and awesome until like poof, we're in our holy bodies, you know, hanging out with Jesus, doing whatever the heck we're going to be doing when we're in heaven for eternity. That's like a long time if you're not sure about that. But I'm sure that it's going to be kind of awesome. Everybody thinks they're going to have questions for Jesus when they get there. Personally, I think they're going to be flat on our face with the holiness of God and not being able to move for a minute. It's just my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. Anyway. As we try to find significance, especially in people, people will let us down. And we try. Like, we could love someone so much. And they could even love us back. And yet something's missing. Because we're expecting a person to satisfy me when only Jesus can. You know, and as we find satisfaction in Jesus, all of a sudden our relationship, our spouses, become far less sinners. Because all of a sudden I realize how much of a sinner I am as I get into God's presence. And I start working on my own junk and stop trying to fix the other people. But that goes for co-workers and family members and brothers and sisters and moms and dads. That's across the board. We're always trying to fix somebody else. And yet we bypass the wretchedness in our own life. And we think that this job or this money or this situation or you know this Xbox game or this ball team is going to bring me some sort of satisfaction or significance. And I always get let down. I always get let down. Because we give that ultimate allegiance to things that are not God. 
And from there, it distorts our view in basically every area of our lives. You know, and because that view is very distorted, it becomes very destructive. And we start getting out of balance because we're trying to grab and make and get something out of something else that isn't able to give us what we truly desire. So we do suck the life out of it. We suck every little piece of anything that we can possibly get out of that situation and we still feel empty and we devour it and we move on to the next thing. You know, and as that that view begins to change, as we realize that the only thing that can bring us satisfaction is really Jesus, that it's sin that's taking us out of balance and that we are absolutely 100% completely guilty of being a sinner. And that we've used people and we've used situation, we've used money, we've used careers, we've used, you know, things to bring satisfaction and we're all charged guilty in the sense that we've tried to find satisfaction in something that isn't Jesus. But as we turn to Jesus, that he gives us this justification He makes us just and He makes us righteousness. Or He passes on His righteousness to us because the wages of sin is death. And yet we're always trying to collect a wage out of something. You know, something that the Lord showed me years ago is that when someone sinned against me, that I'm now trying to collect that sin from someone else. You cheated on me, I cheat on you. You lied to me, I lie to you. You stole from me, I steal from you. You abandoned me, I abandoned someone else. And that wage is constantly trying to get paid. That someone's trying to collect from me, I'm trying to collect from someone else. Because sin is trying to get this wage collected for it. And the only thing that can satisfy the wage of sin is the only thing that can satisfy the wage of sin, and that's Jesus Christ. That His blood paid the ultimate price for sin. And in that moment, the righteousness that is of God, that is on Christ, gets passed to us, and He absorbs our sin. Now it's important that we're confessing that sin. Then in 1 John it says that we're faithful to confess our sins, that He is just to wipe that unrighteousness away. But so often we say a sinner's prayer, but we keep on sinning, don't we? And we just expect all this Jesus stuff to kind of fall into place and everything's going to be perfect, and yet we're still sinning the same way that we were sinning prior to the Jesus prayer, and we're expecting that everything is going to be good now. Like, I said the prayer. I'm going to church. Like, I got my ticket to heaven. What's the big deal? And it's that wage of sin that we're still trying to collect. And we're trying to collect it from someone other than Jesus. And we find ourselves out of balance in sin time and time again. You know, and Jesus is the only thing that can bring that satisfaction. Because His death is what breaks us free from being trapped in bondage. But see, the good news is that God's response to our sin nature, instead of holding humanity guilty, Jesus came as the Messiah to die on our behalf that all people could be set free because of His perfect sacrifice for our sin. In our representation, who is Jesus, that He stood in our place, And he took on himself all of our consequences from the pain of sin. Which means that sin has been fully satisfied by the wrath of God that was absorbed by Christ on the cross. See, Paul is writing this, you know, he's weaving this, you know, literary masterpiece and explaining that we all fall short. Like, none of us have got this figured out. Like, you can, you know, you can do your best to try to uphold the law, but... What the law does is show you that you fall short. You could try to behave yourself and be the best Christian, and yet in reality, if you really put yourself before Jesus, that you are far from being Christ-like. And the only thing 
that can bring Christ's likeness on us is stepping before him and saying, I'm falling short. I'm a guilty sinner. And at that moment, his righteousness is passed on to us. Now, this is, personally, I believe that this is something that we should be doing regularly. That we shouldn't say one sinner's prayer and do a little bit of confession and like, no, I'm good, I got this now. Because at some point in this week, you're going to sin again. Oh, wait, you're going to sin today. You're going to sin today. You're going to sin today. Most of us will sin before we go to sleep tonight. Why? Because we're sinners. We think, we say, and we do things that are sinful. Why? Because that's who we are. We have this sin nature. Well, I am supposed to behave. How well are you doing at that? How good are you obeying the, the rules? You a good rule follower? No. We're, n- we're not, right? We're not good rule followers. The fact that we're not good rule followers puts us here on a Friday night. But that's another story altogether. We're learning, right? We're learners. School of hard knocks. But we're learning. Some of us are a little more stubborn than others. We, we, we like pain. We're emotional masochists. We like punishing ourselves. Because we deserve it. We don't deserve forgiveness. We deserve to suffer. And that's the beauty of the cross is that all suffering was taken upon Him and when we really give Him our pain and receive His healing and begin to do things His ways, all of a sudden we have far less suffering. So much less suffering. Because He's taken His consequences upon Himself. You know that... So as Jesus overcame sin and death by his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection from the dead, he makes this this new life available to us and others. That Jesus became what we are so we could become who he is. Jesus became what we are so we could become who he is. He took upon sin so that we could become the righteousness in Christ. Not the righteousness in Tom, not the righteousness in I behave the the rules, not the righteousness and I'm good at obeying the law, not the righteousness that I'm going to church and I have perfect church attendance, the righteousness in Christ that is our declaration that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And that's never not going to be true. Today I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Tomorrow I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. The day after next, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. That doesn't change. It changes when we stop sinning. What's the likelihood that we're going to stop sinning? Real low. And see, this, for me, is when things clicked. I stopped trying to get sober. All these years I was trying to stop something. Stop using drugs. Stop being an alcoholic. Stop being impure. Stop being a pervert. Stop looking at porn. Stop. I'm trying to stop something. So I'm trying to resist to the best of my ability. I have no ability to resist. So I get a little bit of time and I fall again. And I get a little bit of time and I fall again. And I get a little bit of time and I fall again. Because I'm trying to do it in my own strength because I'm trying to resist the sin. My way. And when I learned that it's not about being sober, it's about being more like Jesus. I stopped trying to get sober, and I started trying to be like Jesus, and all of a sudden I had no desire to use drugs and alcohol again. Why? Because God could and would relieve me of the state of hopeless mind and body if I seek Him. So as I'm seeking Jesus, and I'm allowing Him to change the way I think and the way I feel, all of a sudden the things that I was using to try to change the way I think and the way I feel drifted away to the point that I didn't even miss them. Because I had something so much superior that was changing the way I think and the way I feel that didn't bring shame and guilt that every time I did it. So then I needed to do it more to cover up the next time that I did it 
and it was this perpetual abuse to addiction cycle that all of a sudden I took that same craziness that I chased after drugs and alcohol and sin, and I turned it towards Jesus, and I said, I'm going this way now. Well, you're going to be religious, Tom. I'm like, if religious is going to be the thing that sets me free, then I'm as religious as they come. But then I learned that it's not about religion. It's not about how I look or how I act. It's about whom I'm pursuing. I started to pursue Jesus. And as I started looking through the text, it doesn't say act a certain way. It says follow a certain way. And as we begin to follow Jesus, is it easy? No. It's going to be the hardest thing that we do. Deny ourselves and what we think and what we feel and follow after the invisible prize that is Jesus Christ. There's going to be days that you do not want to do it. There's going to be a lot of days that you're like, this is hard. I don't want to do it. But Jesus. Because the alternative of what I do want to do brings pain, brings suffering, brings shame, brings another time around the mountain, brings another dip in the valley. However you want to explain it, it's not fun. Never a time that we turn from Christ and do what we want to do ever results in a great time. I have never once heard that that was amazing. I'm just happy to be back at Christ. Eh, I just figured I'd stop back in the church. Like, we, we crawl here if we make it. And we all know some people that haven't made it. And that's scary. Because I'm the worst of them. That if I deny Christ and chase after my own flesh, I may not make it back. And that's true for each and every one of us. It doesn't matter if you use hardcore drugs or not. Because the wages of sin is death. So when we turn to sin, death is part of that equation. And it's scary, but we have to become realistic and have a real view of what sin produces. That it opens the door up for the enemy to have access to us where Before, we're under cover, we're under the the righteousness of God, we're under Jesus' protection because we've surrendered and submitted to Him and we're following Him. Then when you look at the life of Christ, you don't see Him casting out demons that are attacking Him. You don't see Him you know, pulling down strongholds of things that are attacking Him. Why? Because He's in the perfect will of the Father. He's just walking wherever He wants to go and the demons are running from Him. And when we get submitted to Christ and are following Christ, technically, things begin to part like the Red Sea. Now, that does not mean that we're not going to have trials and tribulations because we live in this sinful world. But the enemy does not have access at us like he does when we're running away from Jesus. Does that make sense? You know? And we have to realize the enemy has no more power than what we give him. Well, the enemy's trying to get me. No, you're just doing that to yourself because you have a sin nature and you just want somebody to blame. So let's blame the devil. The devil is doing far more greater things than messing with us. Especially when we're not doing anything against his kingdom and for God's kingdom. Well, the devil made me do it. No, no, he really didn't. I have a sin nature. I don't need any help. I do some stupid stuff all on my own. You know, and as we continue to turn to Christ, and we learn how to follow Him, and we learn how to to be more Christ-like, this justification comes upon us because we're trusting in Christ, we're trusting in Jesus, that we're having faith in Him, that His way is the only way. So often, I believe in Jesus. I own a Bible, but I'm doing my own thing. And I'm wondering why things are really, really, really hard. It's because I'm not aligning myself with His way. I believe in Him. I've repented. I've said my little sinner's prayer. I've even confessed some of my sins. But I'm still kind of trying to do my own thing. It's like I'm, you know, the play's been called, and it's 
sweep right and I'm trying to go sweep left and I'm wondering why I'm getting tackled all the time. It's because I'm going the opposite way of the way the plan has been played out. The plan has been called to go this way and I'm like, no, I think this way will be better. And I'm wondering why I'm losing yardage. You know, and it's so important that we follow his way. Even when we say, this isn't going to work, I don't like this, this doesn't make sense, I don't understand, I don't, it's making me feel a certain way. And Jesus is like, yep, come on. This is the way we do it. Come on. And as we lay our life down and say, all right, I'm doing it. I'm scared, I'm petrified, everything inside me says run away. You know, I'm crying, I'm a mess, this doesn't make sense to me. Jesus is like, I got you. I got, come on. And sometimes it's a little, little baby step. Sometimes we're crawling on our hands and knees. Sometimes we're just flopping forward a little bit. Like I'm just trying to fall forward. I got, I got a couple inches. I'm closer, Jesus. I'm trying. And we resist with all our ability not to go that other direction. And some days it's harder than others. Some days it feels like that pull, that old man, that, that sin nature is just pulling. And that's when we have to come back before God and say, forgive me. You know, forgive me of my thinking, forgive me of my action, forgive me what I'm looking at, forgive me what I'm entertaining, because I'm giving access to the sin nature. And as we keep laying this stuff down before Jesus, that we begin to declare the righteousness of God over our own life. Why? Because it's Jesus. I have Jesus in me. I can declare that I'm righteous in His eyes, not in my own strength. I'm not a good behavior now and I get to be righteous. No, it's all Jesus. And as we learn to follow Jesus, that we can begin to declare, like, Jesus has got me. Devil, get off me. Sin nature, you need to die because you have no nothing good for me. I'm following. I'm following after Christ. That what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf gives us this new status before God. Instead of finding us guilty, Jesus declares us right, righteous, in right relationship with God. That we are forgiven. And this justification comes upon us. The result of having this new relationship with Jesus comes with a new family. Many of us in here have no family. But yet, when we look around the room, we got brothers and sisters probably closer than we've had in our entire lives. That we have people in our lives today that truly care for us and are there for us time and time again, even though everything inside of us says, I can't trust anybody. And Jesus is like, no, you can trust that person. But, 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 but. You're right, I can. It's scary though. And we take a step. You know, that we, we have this new family in Christ. That every person that begins to trust Jesus, we have this, this new place in God's family because we have this covenant with Him. See, Paul's using these big words because they come with great significance. That when we make a covenant with Him, that we're bonded to Him. He, we're married to Christ. You know, that He's trying to show us that we're loved. This justification is this result in us having this new future. That our journey gets transformed. Many of us in here had no future. Like our future did not look good. Like, it looked like more jail, more prison, more pain. I'm lucky if I make it to I'm 30. Like, some of us have had these thoughts. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to live old, so I might as well just do crazy things. People send us to hell so many times, and we might as well just act a fool, because I'm going to hell, I might as well go, and I don't know where the handbasket comes, but we're going to be swinging too. You know, like, since we're already bad, we might as well be the worst. And I have no ability to be good, so then therefore, what's the point of trying? But see, it's not about good and bad anymore. It's about Jesus and not Jesus. 
So when we come before Jesus as broken, busted, bad people, all of a sudden, he begins to pour out his love on us and it begins to melt us from the inside out. That I may not be any different than I was yesterday, but all of a sudden something's starting to move on the inside of me. Something's starting to crack. The hardness of that heart starts to come open and there's this thing on the inside of me where it's like, well, maybe I could, maybe things could get better. And then we take a couple steps. You're like, things are getting better. You know what? God's got a plan for my life. Like, all of a sudden things begin to shift because we're declaring God's stuff over us rather than the pain and suffering that we've had our entire lives. See, so often when we don't come to Jesus with our pain and we're trying to change, we're trying to walk forward but backwards. See, we're staring at all the pain and we just project that pain into our future. So we don't think that our future is going to be any different than our past. But when we put our eyes on Christ and we repent of that, this stuff begins to get broken off our lives and we have this whole new picture that we have no idea what's going to happen, which freaks us, control freaks out. He said, wait, 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 wait. Like, at least I know what's going to happen over here, so maybe I'll just do this a little bit longer. Jesus is like, stop it. Now come on. But, 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 it's hard. And Jesus is like, come on, let's do this. Why? Because he has this new future. We have a whole new journey. Like, you could not have convinced me at all that my life would look the way it does now. I literally was just trying to get sober, and if the Jesus thing is going to try to help me, then I'll give it a shot. Like, something's missing, I'll go to church. And Jesus met me in that place and started to change everything. Within the first year of being really saved, I was in a foreign country. Like, I... I've left New York a few times in my life, but I literally have not left New York very often. And then he sends me to another foreign country. And then he sends me to another foreign country. Then he sends me to another foreign country. Then he sends me to California. Then he sends me to Georgia. And then he said, like, he's been sending me to all these places. Like, I've literally been on the other side of the earth. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, I did not leave central New York the most of my life. And Jesus is like, watch this. I'm going to take you over here. I'm going to take you over there. Now, I don't know what he has planned for all of us. I'm not even sure what he's doing next week for me. I'll just be honest. Like, I gave up trying to figure it out. I'm like, here I am, doing this, your timing, let's do it. We're waiting tomorrow. Sweet. Here we go. (laughs) You know, like, all of a sudden, poof, Nepal. Like, okay, here we go. All of a sudden, poof, Africa. Like, okay, here we go. Like, there isn't like these long-term plans for me and Jesus, other than GZM. GZM's been on the burner for over a decade. And it's still like cooking, it's marinating. You know, it's like a slow cooker. Like, it's going to be this sweet, amazing brisket one day. One day, we're going to pull GZM out of the smoker, and it's going to be this amazing thing. Right now, try to open the door, get burned. We'll leave that thing alone. I stopped trying to, I, I just, whatever. I just stopped staring. Like, more paperwork? Sweet. I love it. Let's do it. However, in the midst of our lives, all of a sudden he bumps us out of places. And a lot of times we're hanging on for dear life into something that God's like, leave that alone. Like, no, 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 no. This is, this is my identity. He's like, no, it's not. I'm your identity. But, 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 but. But nothing. Trust me. Like there's this tearing that's going on in the inside of us as we maybe move out of another city or move out of a job, move out of a relationship. You know, all of a sudden there's like, oh, I'm freaking out on the inside. And like Jesus like, yes, finally I have opportunity to move. Because our significance, our identity is in stuff, not him. That he's pouring out 
disgrace upon us that transforms our lives. That His grace changes us. His love for the person that's unlovable changes us. You know, I do believe that there's times when we have to like, all right, enough's enough, I got to do it. You know, I've eaten enough Chinese food, it's time to take my fat butt to the gym. Like, all right, Jesus, I'm going to the gym, but I'm still eating Chinese food. Like, I'm in the middle here. I'm not winning the battle, but at least I'm participating in the war. I get it. We all have fights in our lives that aren't fun and we don't want to do it. And God's like, I'm not leaving you alone until you do it. Alright, I finally surrender. Here we go. I hate this. This is amazing. I hate this. This is amazing. No, I really, really just hate this. Here I go, though. I get it. I got one. You watch me. I talk about it. I'm a sinner. Like, I don't have it all figured out. I'm just throwing stuff at you because I'm living this stuff to the best of my ability. But it's His grace that begins to move in our lives that says, I'm not leaving you in this place. I'm pushing you out of this place, whether you're like it or not. And sometimes He finally just grabs our hand and says, come out. And it's like there's this tearing that's going on because we're doing everything we can to hang on to the old. And Jesus is like, enough of that. It's time. My grace is sufficient. My mercy will get you through tomorrow and today and the next day because you're going to keep screwing up. But I love you enough to not let you stay in this place. Now, come on. And we come kicking and screaming. I don't want it. It's dumb. This is, I don't like it. I don't want to do it anymore. That's not what I want to do. And Jesus, honestly, I think Jesus up there like, I literally don't care. I died for you. Now, come on. And I think there's this grace period where he allows us to flop on the kid like we're two years old and we don't have a baba. And then finally he just grabs us by the foot and says, come on. And there's some scrape marks along the way because we're still kicking and screaming trying to go the other way. And then we're like, okay, I give up. Enough's enough. And we're like, okay, I'm doing it, but I don't want to do it. We've all been there. Am I the only one that's like, I'm finally doing this Jesus stuff, but I don't want to do it. And we're stomping our feet along the way, and we're pouting, we got a miserable face. And then all of a sudden, something really good happens, and like a smile kind of perks, and we're like, ha ha, I saw your smile. Like, no, I didn't, I didn't smile. <laughs> and like, Jesus loves on us so much and makes our lives so much better because He's healing us from the inside. It has nothing to do with our external situations, really. Although our external situations begin to shift and change, and we realize, like, this is getting better, and I'm not really sure how. And then Jesus is like, ta-da! <laughs> and as we receive grace, that it's through this grace that we have faith in Christ. There's no other way. That He begins to, to pour it out on us. You know, see all of us, you know, we're hopelessly trapped in this cycle of sin. There's not a one of us that just finds a different direction. Like, oh, hey, I managed to escape it. Because a lot of times we we just change addictions. We hop out of one of addiction and then we're in a different one. We're like, well, this one's not as bad. And then it just consumes us the same way the last one did. And then we fight that one off and, oh, oh, I'm back on this one. And we just keep going back and forth between things. Or we resist it for a while And then all of a sudden it's like, oops, I stumbled back into it. How did I get here again? It's because I'm not really trying to change my pursuit. I'm not pursuing something new. I'm not trying to bring Jesus in. Maybe I'm going through the motions of Christianity to the best of my ability and I'm trying to behave because the wifey's going to kick my butt. You know, or however that situation, or parole, or probation, you know, the man is coming after us and they can have many different faces. So we're trying to behave. Once again, we're back to the place that I'm not a good behavior. I fall short all the time. See, we're trapped in this cycle of sin. We have to be, we need to be rescued. It's the only thing that works. We can't rescue ourselves. And man, we try. 
Most of us in here have been on some sort of a diet. How well did that work? It doesn't. Because the food that we have to eat when we're on a diet is horrible. It literally tastes awful. And then someone's like, here, have chicken wings. Here, Chinese food. Here's like something amazingly sweet. Here's a milkshake. And all of a sudden, we just kick that diet down the road and here we go again. We have to be rescued. That when we're trying to do this on our own, we fall short. You know, in our attempts to follow the law, to behave ourselves and be a good Christian, we've fallen short. In the attempts that someone else tried to get us to follow the law, we've fallen short. You know, how many times have some of us been on probation or parole and we just stopped breaking the law? No, sorry, I wasn't the guy. You know, we break the law like New York State law all the time when we're driving. Most of us. (laughs) I concur. (laughs) I'm a sinner. So all of a sudden the police pull us over and we're like, why'd you pull me over? I was breaking the law. Now significantly, I will say that I am not breaking anywhere near as many laws as I used to on a regular basis. There was a time in my life where I was breaking at least 10 laws on a daily basis. So when I see the police, he's out to get me and therefore I hate him. Popo. Evil. Because he's trying to ruin my fun. No. I'm breaking the law. And his job is to make people obey the law. So when I'm outside of the law, it's his job to put me in an orange jumpsuit with pretty little bracelets. And I get really mad at him for stealing my phone. How many of us really enjoy getting pulled over by the cops when we're speeding? No one. How dare he catch me? See, we are still lawbreakers. However, people try to get us to enforce the, or obey the law. They enforce the law. We still break the law. Still today. What has to happen? Repent of traffic violations. We have to be rescued. And this only really truly happens through this relationship with Christ. That He is the only one that can truly rescue us from the depravity of our own sin. I've been a thief since I was a little, little kid. I mean, five years old, stealing stuff out of stores. That's never changed. All my attempts of being, you know, corrected by the law, in and out of probation, in and out of jail, even my attempts to get sober, never changed the fact that I stole stuff in basically every store I've ever walked in. I literally would steal stuff off the counter in front of the cashier because I needed a new wrist. This lighter, this candy bar. I would steal stuff. I would steal rings at the mall in front of the attendant who's handing me rings. Why? Because I needed the thrill. All of a sudden, I began to pursue Jesus. I didn't try to stop stealing. I started to pursue Jesus. And then all of a sudden one day it clicked. I haven't stolen anything in a while. Like, it's like I didn't even try. It's like I didn't even like try to stop. I repented of being a sinner and I pursued Jesus and all of a sudden things started to drift out of my life that were unrighteous. Why I make that statement? Every one of us in here has something that we're wrestling with. Because we're sinners. And I just encourage you to put your eyes on Jesus more than you are trying to resist whatever it is that you're trying to stop doing. And as you put your eyes on Jesus and chase Him, as crazily as you chase sin in your life, before you realize it, some of these things that you've been wrestling with for years will begin to drift out of your life because of His righteousness in your life 
breaks that stuff off. So I just want us to bow our heads and, and literally repent of anything that's been popping up as I've been speaking tonight, as the Holy Spirit's already been ministering to each and every one of us. And just ask Him in. But it's not done. That's the starter pistol. What I'm asking is that from this day forward, you put your eyes on Jesus to the best of your ability. You're like, Tom, I'm already doing it. I get it. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Ask Him if there's anything that you could be changing, anything you could be doing, anything that needs to drift out of your life, anything that you could repent, anything that you could stop. I believe in that stuff. But some of this harder stuff that seems like it never goes away, the only way that it begins to drift out of our life is when we become more like Christ. So let's just take a second. Lord, I pray that you really begin to come in a powerful way and break through the hardness in our hearts in, in different ways. Lord, each one of us needs you in one area or another or in half a dozen or more. Lord, we fall short every day. We try to behave and we fall short again. We try to, to act right and we fall short again. But you came and got us before we knew that we needed to be God. You died for our sins long before we knew. You first loved us. Lord, and as you come into these areas in our lives, you break off our sin nature because we're pursuing you and your righteousness, your justification, your grace begins to consume our lives the way sin once did. So Lord, I pray that things begin to change in the depths of our hearts. And as we begin to read our word, that our mind begins to be renewed by the word of God. That we no longer fashion ourselves to the pattern of this world. That we lay our lives down in complete pursuit of who you are and your righteousness gets poured out upon us, Lord. That you change us. That we're new in Christ. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've done in my life and in everyone's lives in this room, Lord. But I pray that we could commission ourselves on to holiness. That we would allow you to, to break things off. That we would let go of things that you've already been speaking to us about. Lord, that you begin to minister to the heart that's far from you, even though they're sitting here tonight. That you would love on the person that doesn't feel loved. That you'd love on the person that's been trying to behave, but yet seemingly falls short. That I pray that your grace would really, truly begin to wreck each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.